Well, good morning once again. It's good to see you today. And uh, as Kevin uh, began our service, uh, today is a different day at Taylor's. And uh, it's different in the sense that this is the first time in seven and a half years that we've gathered together on a Sunday to worship as a church without a senior pastor in place. And uh, as a result of Paul's uh, decision, uh, it has caused all of us to experience any range of emotion, uh, anything from um, confusion uh, to shock or surprise to disappointment or a general unsettlement in our hearts, an unsettling feeling about what the future uh, may hold for us here at Taylor's. And it has launched us, his decision has launched us into a time of transition, which is not news to any of us, but that is what we face this morning as we gather together. This is a transition time for us as the body of Christ at Taylor's. And so what I'd like to do this morning is share with you uh, three things. Number one, just to introduce some general thoughts about the three phases of transition that I think are characteristic of any change that you go through, just for an awareness perspective. Second, some, some thoughts on keeping perspective as believers in Jesus and how we face that and what it's important for us to remember as we walk through this process. And then lastly, I want to take a look at our text for today. It's in Daniel chapter 6. And to look at Daniel as an example uh, for us, I think, to emulate and to follow uh, as we walk through this transition together. And so as you think about this idea of transition, there was a book that William Bridges wrote years ago called Transitions, and this is what he says. Transition is a natural process, a process meaning that it takes time to walk through. It's a natural process of moving from disorientation to reorientation, to move from a place of confusion to a place of clarity. And it will take some time. And we all go through transitions in our life. And you can think about those that you've walked through. Some of them may be the death of a loved one. That's a major transition that we walk through. Or it might be um, uh, a change in your career. It might mean a move to a new city or to a new community. And you fill in the blank. We go through big ones and we go through small ones all the time. And I think it's important for us as we go through this one as a church to remember that there are some phases that we will go through. And I think the first that he addresses in that book is, is that of endings. He says, every transition begins with an ending of something. And <clears throat> excuse me, it's, it's uh, the end of an era with Paul Jimenez as senior pastor. His decision marks an ending of that season and launching us into a season of transition towards something else and something different and something new in the days ahead. But how we respond to this ending that we're facing will make a lot of difference. It will impact us directly in terms of how we begin anew. And to successfully make it through transition uh, will involve us letting go of old things before we can begin the process of picking up new things. And that word letting go is hard. It's tough. I mean, just think about those transitions that I mentioned a minute ago. We've, we've all experienced things like that. 
And letting go is a difficult thing, but part of moving beyond and making progress through times of transition will require all of us at some point to come to terms with the reality and the necessity and the challenges, I think, of letting go. Second is what he calls a neutral zone. It's time when we're in the wilderness, there's a a sense of lostness or a disorientation that we all feel. Um, but that's, that is, is not necessarily a time that's unproductive. It may feel that way because we, we may feel relationally disconnected the things of the past and we feel emotionally uh, removed and disconnected from things of the present. But the neutral zone is really a time of reorientation. And we have to begin to ask ourselves, how do we make the most of the situation that we are in? And that is, involves a recognition and a need to be teachable, to have a teachable spirit before the Lord, to be teachable and say, Lord, um, if you want to make room for something new, we want to make room. We have a, there's a yieldedness in our heart and our spirit that we have to be willing to be open to a new thing and to embrace whatever it is that God may want to do in our midst. And then thirdly, a new beginning. We only come to new beginnings at the end of something else. As we launch, maybe it's a new activity. In our case, it may be new staff or a new aspect of vision or ministry or whatever it may look like. Uh, But in order to experience a successful new beginning, we have to do much more than simply persevere. We've got to do a lot more than just hang on for the ride, but we have to be able to respond rightly to the internal leadings and promptings of God's Spirit. We have to pay attention to the external leadings and promptings of God's Spirit as He walks with us through this. And working through that process can be challenging. It can be unsettling. It will feel different. It will feel different. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you where you're sitting, I want you to cross your arms. Just cross your arms. There's a natural way that you just did that that's normal. All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to uncross them and fold them the other way. (laughs) Had to think about that for a second. Yeah, all right. Try again. Um, Listen, when you do that, I did them this way, then I turned around and did them this way. And you know what? It feels a little different. Not completely different, but it, there's something about doing it the other way. It feels different. And you know what? That's, that's where we are. We're in a transition time when things are going to feel different. They're going to look different. We're going to have to make some adjustments in getting used to a new sense of things. And that can be unsettling and can cause concern. But what I want to do next is not just talk about endings in a neutral zone and a new beginning. And that's where we are. This is the overall 30,000-foot process. But what I want to do is share with you for just a moment some what I'm calling anchors for stability, some things to keep in mind as we walk through this. And I want to state them very quickly and then move to Daniel 6. But I had a great um, opportunity uh, back in June to take a trip with my oldest son who graduated from high school and we went on a trip to go hiking out west. And uh, one of the things that I did before I went was, and I don't do a lot of hiking, so uh, I knew we were going to be going into some high mountainous areas and I went to REI. I love REI. You could drop me off there or at Barnes and Noble and I could just wander and have a good time. And I was at REI and uh, one, of the, one of the sales guys 
uh, talk to me about these. You guys, hikers, raise your hand if you like enjoy hiking. Okay, you may know what these are. They're called trekking poles. Have you ever used those? Okay. He looked at my son. He said, the younger guys don't use them, but older guys like you do. And I'm like, okay, are you serious? I'm, I've gotten to be that old, I guess. But, but here's, here's, here's what these, the purpose of these, okay, is to provide stability. And I extended these out. I promise I wasn't trying to hike on my knees. Uh, but they're, they're, they extend out, and it's just like ski poles. If you like to go snow skiing, okay, they help you give, give you balance, and they provide stability. And we were going up and down some very treacherous trails and rocks, and it felt very unstable. And so these things right here became a source of confidence for me, a stability. I could put these into the ground and it helped give me more leverage and it helped me stand up straight and make it down without getting myself hurt while I was trying to, to make my way up and down uh, the mountainside. But I want to offer some of these. As I share these with you, I want you to think of what I'm going to share with you as trekking poles, okay? As means of giving us confidence and stability in what I know for, for all of us feels like a very unstable time. And the first of these is God is aware of our situation. I don't know that I'm going to share anything that you haven't already thought about, but it's good to be reminded of some of these uh, anchors, if you will. And the first is God is aware of our situation. Hebrews chapter four says this, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. There's nothing in all of creation that God does not see, that God is not aware of, that God does not understand. So number one is he is aware of where we are as a church. Number two, God has a plan for us. This is, Taylor's is God's church. It's not any one person's church. It's not collectively our church. This is God's church. And he promised, Jesus did, that he would build his church. And he has a plan. He has a will and a purpose for Taylor's First Baptist today. In Jeremiah 29, 11, a very familiar verse that we, we think of often that tells us a lot about the heart of God for his people and that God's heart and his desire is to bless his heart is to help them prosper, to give Israel a future and a hope. And I think he has the same desire for us today as well. And our job is really, I think, spelled out in Psalm 37. It simply says this, trust God and do good. Trust God and just do good. Do what Jesus told us to do. Be faithful in those basic things. Number three, God wants to teach us something. In Romans chapter 8, Kevin talked about it a little bit ago, verses 28 and 29 tells us and reminds us that God uses all things, okay? He works all things, good, the bad, the ugly, the difficult, the challenging. He works them all together for our good, for a purpose, and that purpose is to conform or to shape you and I into the image of Jesus, the Son. That's what God is about, and he uses seasons of transition to stretch us at times and to lean on him. And, and I, I was reminded and thinking about Mark chapter 4 and this idea that God wants to teach us something is in Mark 4, the disciples and Jesus are in a boat together. 
And there's a storm that comes up and they're panicked and Jesus takes care of things and and the disciples were astonished. They were fearful and they were afraid, but God stepped in and he had to do that. He had to put them in the middle of a tough situation because they needed to understand, listen, who he was and what he was capable of doing. He wanted to understand that this was not a normal person, that he had an identity that was different. He was the Messiah, the long way, but he also was capable of doing things that they could not even believe. And it was a teachable moment for the disciples, and tough times can be a teachable moment for us if we're open and willing to pay attention. And the other is to allow God to be the vine dresser. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is in John chapter 15, one that is familiar to to many and many of you as well. But uh, I'm just reminded in that, that God has a purpose in pruning. And honestly, I've asked the question, and I would imagine you have too, is tailors in a season of pruning? Is God, what is God up to? And you know, the purpose of pruning is always for greater growth. It's for greater health. It's to take away some things so that more life, and you know, I don't know what those things may be, but God has a purpose in, in pruning in order to, for, for whatever it is that he's pruning to bear more fruit. And I think a lot of us idea of having a teachable spirit has to do with our attitude. And there's a quote that I want to read to you by uh, Chuck Swindoll. I think it's great in terms of attitude. He says, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. And we cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act a certain way. The only thing we can do is play on the one string that we have, and that is our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. And so it is with you and us. We are in charge of our attitudes. And while there are changes, let me quickly mention there are some things that don't change as well. Number one, God doesn't change. God, his attributes, his nature do not change. Hebrews chapter 13 tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. Malachi speaks of the fact that I, the Lord, do not change, that God in his nature, he is always holy, he is always just, he is always powerful and faithful and good, and the list goes on and on and on. And second, his position and his place do not change. In Psalm 103, verse 19, it speaks of God being enthroned in the heavens and his sovereignty that rules over all things, including our transition. God's position has not changed since last Sunday. He's where he's always been. He's been in two places. Number one, in Isaiah chapter 57, it says, I dwell in the high and holy place in the heavens. But he also says, I dwell amongst the lowly of spirit and the contrite of heart. Those are just two words that mean I dwell among those who are humble and I dwell among those who are repentant. As Kevin led us in our prayer time, a time of confession. And listen, I believe, listen to these words. He dwells in those places. He says, uh, in order to, this is why. Listen, he says this twice for emphasis, to revive 
the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And I just want to ask you, do you believe that that's God's heart for Taylor's? That he wants to revive us, to breathe new life into our, our body as we go through this difficult uh, time of transition, this time of uncertainty. I believe that. But that will happen if, if we'll humble ourselves to be lowly of spirit, if we will repent of those attitudes or actions or behaviors that, that are going along or characteristic of a corrupted heart. Listen, God is right where he was before last Sunday. His nature hasn't changed and his place has not changed. Second, the gospel does not change. It's the same message that we will continue to proclaim is that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. It's the gospel has the power to save just as it did Debbie's life as we all got to watch and witness the beauty of God's transformative power in the life of someone amongst us. And that gospel, we will continue to proclaim that. And third, the mission does not change. Jesus has called us to be a disciple-making body, to teach and to baptize and to allow disciple-making to remain our target that we aim for as a church body. We want people to continue to encounter God and to be a equipped as believers to engage the world with the gospel of Christ. And so um, I know that we all long for stability. I long for that. I know you do too. But I simply want to encourage you today to find your stability, okay? Not in a man. Don't look for your stability in a man. And don't look for your stability as tempting as it may be for, for some of us on the staff, don't look for our stability in a fully staffed church. We want to continue to introduce and bring new people. That process is, is continuing, but we can't find our stability in that. Our stability needs to be found in the Lord. I know you know that, but I challenge you to keep our eyes up, to find our, our stability in God and the gospel and the mission that does not change. So quickly, before we pray for this second element in our service, I want you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. It's a great book that speaks of the sovereignty of God. It speaks of God's protection. It speaks of his provision for his people despite their being in exile and being disciplined uh, for their disobedience. But it speaks of God's patience in his dealing with his people because his heart, as I said a moment ago, was to bless and lead them out into uh, good and things as he guided them away from where they were back to uh, his promises. And so here, as we look here in uh, Daniel chapter 6 for just a couple of moments, uh, the situation here is Daniel has garnered the attention and the favor of King Darius. And he wants to make Daniel one of three people, three commissioners, who will be responsible and have the authority for oversight of the kingdom and of the 120 officials that are involved in, in, in various aspects of leadership. But Scripture tells us that these men grew jealous of Daniel and this opportunity given to him, and so they begin to look for a way to accuse him. They look for something in him that was wrong. And yet, verse 3, look there, it says, Then this Daniel began, I love this phrase, distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary 
spirit. He was a man of integrity. Daniel had served under Nebuchadnezzar for 39 years. He'd had a lot of practice, a lot of opportunity with administrative and using his gifts, administration. And and so uh, he was a man of integrity, could be trusted, which is why he caught the attention of Darius. And 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 the officials that were looking to accuse him said, the only way we can find something wrong with Daniel is if it has to do with his devotion to God has to do with his faith in the God that he worships. Look in verse 5. It says, Then these men said, We will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. And so what happens is they trick the king into creating a law, drafting a law that said if anybody worships and acknowledges any God other than Darius, The consequence is they get thrown in the lion's den and eaten alive. And Darius, unaware of their trickery, signs this into law and says it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. And so look over at verses 10 to 13. Read along with me. It says, Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. And then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. And then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction and said, did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den. Is that not true? And the king replied, the statement is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. And then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. I wanted us to take a look at that for for one reason, and that is when Daniel found out what they had done, what was his response? I I love, he says, he continued kneeling and praying and giving thanks as he had previously done. He keeps making his petition. And the point is this, the circumstances around Daniel were changing. His devotion to God did not. And he was someone who was devoted to him. He didn't let the change in circumstances distract him from his pursuit of the Lord. And I think Daniel was able to do that because he, number one, he knew God was aware. He knew God had a plan. He knew that God wanted to teach him something, but he trusted in the unchanging nature of the God that he worshiped. And so if you remember nothing else, okay, I simply want you to to remember this thought, that our role, I think, in the midst of where we find ourselves as a church, okay, is to respond to changing circumstances with an unchanging devotion to God to allow the response of our heart to not change, to to, to look at our, consider our focus and to have an unchanging devotion to God. Let me wrap up with this. There's a picture that I want you to look at. It's a picture that's in, in my office. I have it hanging 
on my wall and I look at it often. And it's a picture of Daniel in the lion's den. And um, if, you'll, if you'll note, I just want you to pay attention to three things, okay? I want you to pay attention to his eyes. Where's his focus and where is his focus not? All right? His focus is up. He's looking out the window and to the light and to the Lord. And he's doing that with seven lions just three feet away from his back. He's in a vulnerable position. And I love this portrayal, an artist's portrayal of, of what it might have been like. And his eyes are up. And to remain in that kind of posture, in that circumstance, demanded a lot of trust and a deep faith. Second, I want you to look at his hands. See his hands? They're behind his back. And that's the position of having hands at rest. But what it communicates to me is Daniel was at a place of peace. He'd walked with God for a long time. That his hands are at rest. And third, notice the lion's. Okay? Every one of the lion's mouths are closed. That God tamed the power and the ferociousness of those animals in that situation who were trained to eat whatever fell into that place. And it's almost like as you look at it, there's an invisible hedge of protection that God has put around Daniel because he's been willing to step out and to risk and act in faith. And that, listen, the last thing about the lion's den is this that the lion's den was part of what God's plan involved. And it became an avenue for two things, for Daniel to grow and to grow in his dependence. And it became another a vehicle for God to display his glory and to display his power amongst his people and to the king. And so that the gospel, the good news about the Lord would go out throughout the kingdom. And so the last thing I want to say, and then I'm going to lead us in prayers, I want you to do one more thing. I want, you to, I want you to hold your hand up and I want you to make a fist. And I want you to clench it tightly, okay? Where you feel the pressure. And in this situation, you know, Daniel did not understand why God might allow him to be in a difficult spot. Daniel had to learn, to continue to learn trust and dependence. He had to trust the Lord and he had to learn to relinquish control. This is, this is a position of control, okay? And I want, I want you to slowly just release your hand. I want you to just open it up. You feel the, re, the release, okay? Does that feel better? It's risky. Listen, this is where God wants us to live, we're human. We're made out of flesh. Our tendency is to want to control things and to hold on to things. Just like I said at the beginning, the process of letting go is risky, but where there's no risk, there's no faith. God says, I want you to live with an open hand, to hold all things loosely. This circumstance and this transition, we hold it loosely before the Lord and ask him to work. And living in a place of dependence and in faith, I think is exactly where God wants us to be. That's how we grow. And that's what God wants us to learn if we're teachable and to say, God, what does it look like? What is it that I'm holding on to? What do I need to release to you? And so this morning, I want to lead us for the next couple of moments just in a time of prayer for wisdom and direction 
for our church. In James chapter 1, a passage that speaks of trials and the benefit of trials and how they mature us and they strengthen us and we grow through them as much as we'd rather it be the other way. I don't know about you, but I'd, sometimes I'd much rather grow not through the difficult things, but God, that's how God does it. It's how we're stretched. It's how we learn to depend is, is our faith is tested. But James 1 verse 5, it tells us that when we lack wisdom, to ask of it specifically wisdom on how to go through trial with a joyful heart. And secondly, with direction, Psalm 23, the passage I was reminded of multiple times this week about God being our shepherd, the one who gives guidance and direction. He guides us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so I want to give you just maybe the next 30, 45, 50 seconds just to pray on your own. Just quiet your heart before the Lord. And then I'd like to lead us through a collective prayer for our body, for wisdom and direction from God. Let's pray.